0: hi it's october 15th 2021 and the fall is upon us i don't know where you live fall for Arizonans is it's now dropped to 85 degrees. And next week, there's word in the air that it'll be in the 70s during the day. Welcome to Arizona. These are the best months, so I'm not complaining. What I am thinking about, though, is October, followed by November, followed by December. I am stunned at the amount of coverage Halloween is getting the decorations the statues the yard's full of halloweeny kind of things followed by thanksgiving wonder what you do for thanksgiving do you think about Thanksgiving, as much as you think about Halloween. And then right on the heels, and it all happens so quickly, we'll be beginning our Advent series, preparing our hearts for the birth of Christ. So it's a busy few months coming. We always have new products at Christmas time, our Advent candles. We have a limited number of Advent candles. So if you are already an Advent candle purchaser, now is the time to get your order in so you get the first of the, candles as they come in from um, Europe. The other thing that I often say is if you're wondering what to get a family that will be an encouragement to them and be inexpensive, the Advent candle is $10 and it comes with a reading guide. So get your orders in before we run out of candles. Well, the last time we were together, I was talking about endurance. Endurance and suffering, and I ended uh, our time together by talking about the fact that suffering is essential and used that wonderful exercise phrase, no pain, no gain, of which now I'm not going to make fun of anymore because I truly understand it. As I was preparing that lesson, I was thinking about what suffering looks like. What is suffering? What are some places on the scripture that have a tone of suffering? And I remembered... The few lines in 2 Samuel of David, King David, who said these words about his son, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you, O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And I remember reading that not long ago and just weeping. I just, it just came over me as a parent and I thought, his son, my daughter, my daughter, Anissa, my daughter, my daughter, Anissa, would I had died instead of you? Oh, my daughter, Anissa, my daughter, my daughter. I, w- I just it was heart-wrenching to me. And when we think of King David, we have a lot of things that come to our cranium. And if you've been in the church at all, and even if you haven't been in the church very much, King David, I mean, you know David and Goliath at least, or you know the 23rd Psalm of David. King David, who was little David, runt of his family, picked out of all the other brothers to become the king. We know that David knew pain and loss and murder immense disappointment, joy, exuberance, God's generosity, and many places in the Psalms which he wrote much of. He talks about his cup running over with love and joy for God and others. And then we have these four lines. My son Absalom, my son, my son, would I had died instead of you? This last conversation that we started in our preceding show about suffering is essential, is the piece of endurance that we can push back and refuse to try to get out of. But suffering is essential. And I think when I read this, it it connected to me that David was broken. And I thought, I remember clearly thinking, but he had been broken before. I mean, There are a lot of things that happened in David's life that he had been broken about. But here was a different kind of breaking. So I went back and looked at those chapters in 2 Samuel. The whole story is there. And if I don't say the story exactly correct, you'll find it there. It's kind of a long, wordy three chapters about this part of David's life, okay? But what happens here is that we recognize that suffering is essential, and following Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, and I'm talking about the big yes, the big yes that says, I will follow you no matter what, and that, that will, no matter what, I will follow you. Now, there are a lot of people right now in our culture who are preaching, teaching, encouraging, writing something that we call a prosperity gospel, and it basically says, If you love Jesus, if you decide to become a Christian, then all will go well for you. Your bank account will have more money, your jobs will be guaranteed, your children will turn out perfectly, and and all things will go well. The bank account will never run dry. And success will be yours, no matter what you undertake. Now, because you're a Christian does not mean that. And I want to be so bold and so loud and say to you, if you think that you said yes to Jesus Christ, that he was going to be the Lord of your life, and what you expected was favors for everything, and that you were going to live a different kind of life than anybody else who never acknowledged Christ, then whoever was teaching you that did not teach you correctly. It it only means that your life will have the comfort of Jesus in it. Suffering comes to us all. The scripture says the rain falls on the wicked and the unwicked, the righteous and the unrighteous. The storms come. If a tornado is rushing across the country, it doesn't pluck out those who love Jesus and say, oh, you will not be touched. Your house will go around your house. That's, That's not how it works. So when you read the scripture and you see pain and suffering, you see that pain and suffering in the midst of God. And suffering comes and we are not immune to it. I often remind myself, I often find myself saying to women as I meet with them, the power of evil still has power on this earth. And according to the scripture, it will until Jesus comes again. And if you said yes to Christ, you want to make him the one who's in charge of your life instead of you or someone else, then you, like me, are looking forward to the time when Jesus does come again. And then when he comes, that evil power, which is loose in the world right now, it has power. It doesn't have most power, but it has power and we forget that we think well i'm going to say yes to Christ and then i'm i'm untouched by that that's not so it has power it is not yet contained and this story between absalom and david is is such a picture of what that looks like so absalom is david's son okay now what do you think you know about david some things you know about him pretty easily he killed uriah That was Bathsheba's first husband. He swept Bathsheba off the roof of her house. Their child died. He rose to be the king of Israel. And it was the king they wanted, A king they wanted, and they got a king. And they got all the things that went with having a king. And then he raised these children. And then his daughter, Tamar, T-A-M-A-R, And um is raped. And she's raped by a half-brother of Absalom, a half-brother of Absalom. And Absalom is furious. Well, David is furious too. But Absalom goes and after he tells David he's going to kill Amon, he's he tells him he's going to, and David says, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And Absalom does it anyway. That doesn't make any of this good news, but it's what happened. Have you ever done anything like that? Like you're so mad at someone. And, and we, we know, but that's when we start to say, well, that sin is worse than this sin. So which sin is worse? The rape was worse than the killing, or the killing was worse? Sin is all sin. Yes, there are consequences that are different about it. So it doesn't make the news any less shocking But Absalom knew his dad did not approve, he knew his dad would not like it, and he ran off. And he ran off for three years out into the wilderness, out into the desert. And when he returned, David had sent the word, yes, you can come back to the city, but the king stayed home. The king did not come out and greet. There was no hugging there was no calling his name, there was no welcome home, and David held in his heart a distance and an unforgiveness. Now, who was suffering in that part of the story? David was suffering, tremendously suffering. Remember, this is his son. But Absalom is suffering also. And, and when you think about Absalom long enough, you think, wow, if I were Absalom, and I have just avenged my sister's Horrible circumstances, you know. Don't I get any credit for any of this? You know, that I think I would have thought that. And of course, David, this is his son, he loves his son. But what he does is he holds his unforgiveness in his heart. His unforgiveness. I, I'm not here to psychoanalyze what David's heart was going through, but he refused the love of God for himself and for his son. So Absalom grew sad. He missed his father. He needed his father. He wanted his father. And he was going to do something about it. So I don't know how David might have responded had he had the prodigal son story that we have from the gospels that Jesus tells us. When that son came home, after all he did against his father, the father killed the fatted calf and put on a new robe and welcomed him, like Christ will welcome us. There was no welcome party for Absalom. And David had good reason, but he refused to forgive, period, end of the line. I believe this may be in the top of David's monumental sins. And I don't think I would have said that before the last few months as I've been reading this. Going back and remembering who David is, what David has done. He killed the giant. I mean, he did a lot of great things. Worshipped and sang without his clothes on, love for God. I mean, he, he just did a lot of wonderful things. But Absalom is so anxious, so full of suffering that he's going to take another bout of revenge and he's going to overthrow his father. And he does. He plans for four years. He talks to everybody. He spreads bad words about his father. He builds his own army. And one day he plans the coup and he routes his father out of town. He routes his father out of town. Just, we see David, Running, running for his life like he ran for his life when he was running from Saul. I mean, David's life is full of these big stories. David was a big character. And then there was this prophet whose name was Shimei. I know you'll never remember that. Shimei, who is taunting David as David's running away. He's taunting him with, oh, the things you did, and oh, don't you wish, and oh, bad David, and oh. So, Now David has been thrown out of his kingdom, out of his castle. He's out in the wilderness. Shimei is taunting him and the days go by and David begins to see himself. He begins to see what's going on. He begins to see the complications of his own heart and his unwillingness to love his son Absalom. He loves him. He's committed to him, but he's showing no way of love to Absalom, and Absalom feels even further um, ostracized. So it's very complicated, isn't it? Very, but doesn't that sound just like a story you would read in some of those newspapers that are at the checkout stand at the grocery store, or some famous person of whose names I can never remember, because I don't watch that stuff very often. In 2 Samuel, toward the end of chapter 18, we discover that David, who has found himself and has decided he's going back to his kingdom and he's gathering his army and he's going to go back in and take, da- take his throne, take Absalom off the throne. It doesn't say what else he's going to do, but here's what it says. It says that he tells his generals, Joab and a bunch of other generals' names who I can't remember, <coughs> do not kill Absalom. Whatever happens in this war, at one point, David says, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. I'm going to lead the charge. I'm the king. I'm going to go with you. And all the generals say, there's a quote that says, you are worth more to us than uh, 10,000 army members. No, you cannot go. You stay here. We will go and fight it. And so he goes on. The, I think that exact quote is, deal gently for my sake with the young man, Absalom. So he, he's not just told them, don't kill him. He's he's evidencing the need of his own heart to see Absalom, and he doesn't want anything to happen to him. Have you ever felt that way about one of your children? You love them so much, and oh, you see them taking the wrong path, or you see them doing things that you know is going to hurt them, and you think, oh, I do anything. I love them so much. Don't hurt my child. Be gentle with him for the sake of this young man whom I love. I think when we hold on to God, we don't want to be around him, and we lose our sense of connection with God and with one another. And when we return to the Father, we regain our humility and our compassion and our peacefulness. And what happened that I saw was that David, who came out of the desert in the shepherd way, came into his own, killing Goliath, etc., etc., has now been sent to the desert at the end of his life. And these two desert places where he found quiet and peacefulness and he had to look at himself because there wasn't anything else to do out there. And then he did. And then he found his own compassion for his son, Absalom. He found his own humility. He found his own ability to pray and ask God what to do next and what he felt was to take back the kingdom. Well, there was the general, Joab, who didn't agree. He disagreed, and he disregarded his king, and he viciously killed Absalom, viciously killed Absalom, the son of King David. And David was brokenhearted. He was brokenhearted. And I agree with a number of theologians who say loving his son that day was perhaps the most magnificent act of David's life. Like, he understood fully what he had done, the suffering he had caused his son. He understood why Absalom did what he did. He understood their own separation. And now his son was gone. And there was no way to fix that. Have you ever had a situation like that? There's just no way to fix it. Someone's died or someone's left and never wants to see you again or, or something that severs it. But His time in the desert, his time in the quiet, we talked a little bit about that as we began this year, making time to listen to God, to be quiet, to gain your confidence. He found his own prayer life again, and he found his own forgiveness, his own two-step forgiveness of loving God and loving others, and it was his son he loved. And he returned to his love for God and his son And he wept, and he lamented, and he suffered. And it caused him to go to a deeper and more refined place of endurance with God and with his Savior. I think it's really important to understand that this was a progression of events. It's not one event. I don't even know how many there are. I I think I just mentioned 10 or 12 parts, of little parts. And David lived a long life, and there were many other parts to his life. But this bookend desert and quiet, this bookend um, peaceful person who lets himself become an unpeaceful person, an unforgiving person, and then he goes back and he figures out that this suffering is essential to his well-being, with his relationship with God, because he comes to trust God. He comes to understand there is gain in God. No pain, no gain. No, there was pain. There was tremendous pain, a pain, in my opinion, he never got over. Uh, he never got over. i mean having to have to do that little research. I don't know how long he lived after Absalom was killed. And Absalom was killed in a terrible way. Just the passage. You know how the Old Testament can be very gory, Um, but he was killed in a very terrible way. Why did I tell you that? Because I wanted you to know that there are accounts all through the scripture that remind us that suffering is essential to life. Suffering is essential to life. And that these years that we have experienced already with pandemic and the change in our culture, the change in our relationships with people, the fear of saying anything for fear that this one's a vaxxer and this one's a non vaxer and we can't talk about that and do I wear my mask and not wear my mask and there's such bitterness and unkindness and disagreement. That's just the tip of the iceberg. That kind of suffering is going to be a way of life for us and maybe it's going to be worse and not better. I just know that suffering is essential. We've always had suffering and here's this amazing Um, portion of David's life that describes the suffering he endured. And because he endured it, he gained endurance to live for God. And that's what I pray for all of you. I pray for myself. And if you think of me, will you pray for me and ask the Lord to give me the proper amounts of suffering that I can learn more about what it takes to trust God during times of suffering. I'm Donna Otto, and this is Modern Homemakers, and we're very glad you've joined us today. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make a very uncommon day of recognizing that suffering is a way of life.